this week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Zia and Tim Minichi. Jay, we're back again with another episode thanks to our Dig Me Out Union on Patreon. You can help us make the next episode happen by joining us at dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. And Jay, this episode is brought to us by Invectorin. Invectorin. It's for horses, you dumbasses. (laughs) Is that how you say it? Unless you have worms. Oh, well, then I can use it. Do you have worms? Yeah, all the time. I don't know where they come from. Uh, No, Jay, this episode is brought to us by our union, our Dig Me Out union. It's roundtable time. This will be a triangular roundtable, sort of an Ikea table, and a Origins episode. This is where we look at a band that really took off in the 2000s. We've done this with Muse, with Modest Mouse. Just to name a few, Spoon, Spoon in the past. And we look at their eight or their 90s origins and when the band was maybe just developing, starting out, maybe got an album or two in, and we take a look and uh, listen to their earlier recordings and see what was, what was there that might have indicated that this band was going to be really big in the 2000s. Now, luckily, with it, when we did Muse, we only had one album to talk about, so there wasn't a huge uh, body of work to examine. But with the band that we're going to check out this time, we actually have two records, so that's useful. And to help us do so, joining us, he's got the he's got a really nice Zoom background. I think that's a Zoom background, or is that a real collection of CDs by Mr. Steven Musinski? Welcome, Steven. What's up, guys? <laughs> it's so real. It's that so real. real. Yeah, that's real. He can, he can actually pull them out and touch them. That's oh, an amazing nice. interactive Zoom background you have there. I've brought two <laughs> for show and tell today. Nice. And for those of you uh, listening, he just flashed a pair of Deftones CDs. That's right. We are checking out the first two albums by the Deftones. They, law, or, uh, the, they beat out in our August roundtable poll. Uh, Wilco, which had 13%, and the Donnas, which had 33% of the vote. Deftones came in with 53%. Uh, Jay, familiar with Deftones? I know you are, but have you listened to any albums all the way through? Not until I was prepping for this. No. I mean, I I had heard My Own Summer, um, I think, at the point it came out, and I've heard songs along the way, but hadn't really spent any time with any of the records. I'm assuming maybe a single off of White Pony, which came out in 2000, because that that album was huge. Yeah, when yeah. it came out. Yep. How'd you get into them, Stephen? Did you actually get those albums when they came out in the 90s, or is this a case of where you discovered them later and then went back and got them? So I've, I I want to say it was either late 97 or early 98 when I would have um, got my hands on the first two records. So not you know. Um, around the fur being at two th- or 1997, right? Yep. So yeah, like it had, it, it had already come out, but like was, they were still touring for it and stuff. Um, right. 
I didn't get to see the band, unfortunately, not until White Pony. Um, so 2000. Um, so yeah, I didn't get to see the band for any of this, but you definitely got in and uh, it was a kind of a weird band that would bridge certain gaps, um, you know, at school. You've got the punks and then you've got the, the metal guys and the hardcore guys and you're trying to figure out which camp you're in and you're trying all these different flavors. And, but it, the Deftones seemed to kind of appeal to multiple uh, camps, so to speak. Yes. And we'll get into that in, in talking about the record and, and their influences and, and, and stuff we hear in the records and also um, where they sort of came from and what they've been doing in the two thousands. Um, so the band formed in 1988 they were in a high school band. And um, so the story goes that uh, Stephen Carpenter, when he was 15 years old, he was skateboarding and he got hit by a car. And he had to be in a wheelchair for a couple months after that. And he started playing guitar, listening to albums by Metallica and Anthrax and other bands. And um, Carpenter was friends with Abe Cunningham and Chino Moreno. They all went to the same high school together in Sacramento, and they were all skateboarders. And they were uh, Carpenter was a big fan of like heavy metal. Uh, Chino Moreno was more of a hardcore punk guy who was into like Bad Brains and and post punk and stuff like that. He he also was also uh, into stuff like Depeche Mode and The Cure, and they started jamming together. Cunningham played drums and playing, you know, just high school kids playing in a garage. And they brought in Dominic Garcia to play some bass. Garcia switched to drums and then Chi Chang joined to play bass after um, Cunningham left. And then they brought in John Taylor, not of Duran Duran, uh, he replaced Garcia on drums in 1991 and then Cunningham returned in 1993 and they were doing like cassette demos at this time, you know, doing a lot of touring on their own and they end up getting a demo to Maverick, which was Madonna's label. Oh yeah. And so they had done demos every year, 90, 91, 92, 93, just, you know, cassette, 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 that kind of thing. They get a demo to Maverick in 94 and they get signed. This is the heyday. This is when bands are getting scooped up. So Maverick via Warner Brothers puts out Adrenaline in October of 1995. It is a slow burn for this record. Over many years, it ends up going platinum in the US. It doesn't chart anywhere. But they're a touring band. They had Terry Date, the uh, well-known metal and hard rock producer, on board for that one. He actually produced all, all their first three records and he produced a number in the, they bounced around in the two thousands from different producers, but he was, he's been back. Um, and then their second record uh, around the fur was also released on Maverick in October of 97. That made it to number 29 in the U S and it charted in Canada, France, uh, the Netherlands and the UK. Again, it made it to platinum, but it also made it to gold in Australia and it made it to um, gold in the UK. 
that's what we're covering. But so as a comparison, when White Pony came out, that made us number three in the U.S., number two in Australia, uh, top 10 in Canada and France, top 25 in Germany and the U.K., and then top 40 in um, Austria, New, uh, Netherlands, Sweden. Again, another platinum record. Um And it, they won a Grammy for Best Metal Performance. And this was just uh, reissued last year with uh, White Pony Black Stallion, where they did a remix album of all, this, all the songs. And people like Square Pusher and Robert Smith contributed remixes of all the songs. Now, actually, that album, I don't remember. I don't know if you guys remember this. It had like an interesting release uh, history where they put it out and it uh, changed in the House of Flies was the single. And then they had a song that they released as a standalone single and it ended up doing really well. So then they did a second version of the album and put that as the first song on the record. But then people were like, hey, I bought the original version and now I don't get this song. So they released it on the Internet for free in 2000, which that's pretty early. Yeah. Be doing that sort of thing. So you could download it for free. Um, And then they followed up that in 2003 with a self-titled album 2006 saturday night wrist 2010 diamond eyes 2012 koi no yokan 2016 gore and then just last year ohms was released now they do have an unreleased album and it's tied to former bass player chai chang who was involved um was it an accident i'm trying to remember what happened Steve, do you remember what happened with him? Uh, do you, sure. Are you familiar? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know he's in a coma for a long time. Yeah. I could have swore it was an accident as well. Yeah. He was in an automobile, accident. automobile accident. That's right. Um, he was traveling, he's traveling with his uh, sister and their car flipped and he was in the passenger seat, not wearing a seatbelt and he was ejected from the car and he was in a coma and then he was sort of in and out of the hospital for a while. And then Sergio Vega of Quicksand ended up filling in for him what was supposed to be temporarily, but eventually became the permanent replacement. And then he passed away in uh, 2013 from cardiac arrest. And this album that they had recorded with him, they have basically shelved it uh, and are not planning on releasing it because they the, it's not done and they don't want to revisit what they did with him. Basically, they just kind of want to leave it alone. And some songs have, they put out a song on YouTube and it was taken down within two days by the record label. Like Chino Moreno was the one who put it up and the record label said, Nope. And put in a DMCA notice, whatever with uh, YouTube and they took it down. That's the history of, or the basic history of, um, of Deftones. Let's get into some comments from the folks. Uh, first from the poll, uh, Darren Lehman said, Deftones all the way, such an artistic and mislabeled band, new metal. They started off more aggressive, but have matured a lot in the latter half of their career. Some of the music they produce clearly suggests nods to some of their influences. The Cure, Depeche Mode, Smashing Pumpkins, My Bloody Valentine, Sade. And in my opinion, they write a lot of beautiful and ethereal soundscapes. 
Darren Leach said, I never get or understand Wilco. The Don is for me. Let's hear it for the ladies. Well, Darren, uh, you can, the exit door is uh, <laughs> right over there. Uh, Whitney Biller said, Deftones, because what Darren said. Ian McIver said, while I enjoy Deftones, they have had a lot of press over the years. I feel like an Origins episode to the lesser known Band of Three would be better, the Donnas. Uh, David Gorko says, when I worked at Kim's in New York City, we sold so much of those early Donna singles. They were underage at their first New York City show, which was surprisingly good, as I remember. So obviously I vote for the Donnas. Chris Martz, I know Deftones get a lot of attention, but you can't overstate how much they changed from albums one to three. While everyone celebrates White Pony, it's even more striking to me buying Around the Fur the day it came out and being amazed at how much they had matured since Adrenaline. I saw White Pony as less a step up from Around the Fur than Around the Fur from Adrenaline because on Around the Fur, they started embracing melody and shying away from the typical new metal sounds. Gavin, anyone but Deftones, most overrated band of the 90s, 2000s, feel free to attack me on Discord. <laughs> um, and then when we mentioned that uh, we were doing this episode with our, our Zoom link to our patrons, because if you're a patron, you can join us for any of these roundtables. Uh, Gary Moran said, these were some massively influential albums. I still love this band. Richard Waterman said, Minority Report, I like the Deftones as they are now over the last three to four albums. I feel like I like them more after each new album, not really into the origins per se. Perhaps we can persuade you, Waterman. Uh, let's get into it. Let's talk some some origins of, Def, of the Deftones. I'm particularly interested because... Um, I had, I, you know, like UJ, I had not listened to the band in the in the 90s. I knew they existed, but they were lumped in with new metal and I didn't listen to new metal. So that's probably why I, I avoided them. Um, but when White Pony came out, I kind of did a, a double take and went, oh, this is interesting and different. I don't know. I don't know what to make of this band, but I never went back. I only went forward with the band. I never went back and listened to those early record so let me get your thoughts on listening to adrenaline what what were your thoughts going back and listening to that first record i was i was kind of uh surprised that that well one i was intrigued by the terry date aspect of this band um especially when you kind of look at his history in the 80s and early 90s um working with bands like metal church so i heard like more of a metal band um like not yet new metal. Um, I heard more, especially from a guitar sound standpoint, it was, um, I guess it wasn't as big as I was expecting. Um, it's definitely overdriven, but it's kind of a small guitar sound. Um, all things considered, um, you hear a lot more bass, um, than you, than you maybe do on, on the next record. Um, and it sounds um, I mean, you definitely hear uh, what I would consider like early 90s to mid 90s, like alternative metal stuff. So it was making me think of a band like Prong, where you get like a lot of staccato, um, really crisp production, sharp, punchy drums, um, you know, vocally, you can start to hear what I think the the band kind of becomes known vocally in terms of like his range from going from that whisper to you know, just these guttural screams. And then um, you can start to hear the kind of the, probably the dynamics that make them different. You know, they, they can do these songs that 
um, have these slow burn versus slower tempos and really like not just get loud, but they like dynamically build and, you know, they're pretty, uh, I guess, sophisticated in terms of how they, you know, do the loud, quiet thing. Um, you know, it's not just clicking on a distortion pedal. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's more atmospheric and kind of smaller in these verses. Um, and then they even switch from, you know, like more riffs to these bigger chords, which is probably where you start to hear like the comparisons to maybe a little bit of shoegaze um, here and there. So yeah, I was kind of, I kind of like the production of the, of this first record. Um, it let me kind of understand the basis of the band a little better than some of the, the at least the record after and even white pony where it, I think it, you get more of that signature Terry date, new metal production. Um, I kind of like the, the rawness of the first one. Um, and it just kind of portrayed a, a little bit more honest um, version of, of what the sort of the band's about. So those are some of the things I picked up on. Steven, what, uh, going back and listening to the first record, what stood out for you? Um, for me, I think the biggest takeaway was just how the record is really strong for me. Nostalgically. Um, if I really start to like pick it apart, I find a lot of flaws with it and, I definitely hear a very, very young band um, finally trying to figure, you know, figure it out. They played together for so long. I went back and watched um, a video that was released from a cable access show from 1992. And the band is just such a mess. And they're just like young kids and they're like your token local band. They're playing like a, a like heavier like big chord, big power chord, loud rock song. And then they start playing like reggae, I think. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, just like they have no idea what they're doing. And uh, it's amazing to think that they, you know, from like 1988 until probably around 93 or 94, it seems like uh, in doing my homework is when they like kind of started to latch more onto a, me- a metallic sound. Um, so I don't know. I hear this record now and the guitar tone drives me nuts. Um, I loved it when I first heard it, but now I feel like they're being fed to me through a feeding tube. Like, I don't know. They're so compressed and, and just like, like Jay said, it's not a big sound. Like it doesn't, I don't know. I don't think it does a service to a lot of the riffs. Um, but the nostalgic, portion of it for me holds up so well like these songs are uh so fun and i mean god a a song like seven words back then i thought it was the coolest thing in the world and now i'm like he's screaming suck over and over the bass is doing this like boom 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 and the guitar is just like you know hitting that low note and then that high note it's kind of a brain dead, um, like lackluster chorus of a song. And it just, you know, it's go ahead. Uh, well, uh, that song, that's the first time on the record. I was like, okay, I get where th- this is the, the new metal thing. Like that was the song for me that like, 
sounded closest to what I think of new metal sounding like. And I could start to see it like, okay, this is the genesis of Limp Bizkit. Like just a really yeah. kind of dumb, angry chorus, musically not very interesting. And some guy yelling, you know, over top of it. Got a weak self-esteem that's been stomped away from every I think that was the the point of the record. I was like, yeah, okay, maybe this isn't as sophisticated as I thought. <laughs> yeah, I, I think um, the the word I would use, or the or the what I heard the most, and you mentioning their earlier years being kind of a mess, is Tool. Like I hear yeah. this band being kind of a you know, not really knowing maybe what they were doing, not or not what they were doing, but they were figuring out their sound. And then Tool releases Undertow in 93. And I feel like that made an impact somehow on this band because like a song like One Week, Chino Moreno sounds like he's channeling Maynard James yeah. Keenan. And he does that a lot on this record. He And that, I mean, that's not a bad thing. I mean, figuring out how to sing and use your voice by emulating someone is, is not a bad idea. Um, I think what happens is probably takes some time for the band to catch up with him and that like that really thin guitar sound yeah it doesn't help it doesn't help this this band like they completely grew into their sound uh later on because it's it's like very very um uh fragile sounding or or you know what i mean like it's I don't, but, there must be like, I don't know what kind of amps they're using, but it doesn't. It's, uh, I think we've talked about this before with some of the metal records from the, or even rock records in the early 90s. It sounds like, a, like the room and the instruments were set up for like a thrash band, you know, yes. like, um, where those tones would probably work when you're playing super fast and you're not letting these big chords ring out. But when you let the big chords ring out and you've got that tinny, um with with you know the high mids it almost sounds like they're out of phase too like there's a double guitar but there's like this weird like out of phase washiness to it um i don't know if it's a reverb or if they're actually out of phase but it's uh, again it's it sounds like um you know the room was set up for metal church or somebody to come in and do a record in 95 but instead the dead phones picked up the instruments and played instead well, are you are you mentioning them specifically because Terry Date has worked with them? Yes. Okay. <laughs> okay, because yeah, it almost sounds to me like Terry Date kind of grew with the Deftones, just you know, jumping from one record to the next. I don't know if yep. this is where we should do that or not, but the sound difference. But, but um, up until then, he you know he's done Overkill. He's done. He did the first Dream Theater record. He did Metal Church, Sanctuary. You know, so he ends up doing Soundgarden and Mother Love Bone. 
but even like Pantera, like this guitar tone is not like just from a frequency standpoint, I realize the playing's different, but from a frequency standpoint, it's not terribly different than Cowboys from Hell. Like yeah, yeah actually, right. that same. Yeah. That EQ. came to mind. Yeah. It has that like PRS through a um through a, a big solid state 412, 410 or 412. Yeah, it has a very solid state tone. That's yeah, a good, that's a good call out. So, all right, I feel, I feel like I kind of said my my more negative critique on uh, Adrenaline, but I do want to sing its praises for a moment in that Mr. Um, it's Carpenter, right? Stefan Carpenter is the guitar player. Yeah. His riffing, um, despite me not liking the guitar tone, like there's just so many moments where it shines on here and you see his affinity for big chords, but also like bringing that melody in and keeping things interesting. And it just has like this, fresh sound to me like i don't know deftones found this way to like keep a like heavy and aggressive sound with like this 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 i don't even know how to explain it and it's it was like very much their thing and after two albums bands just started copping it left and right like i remember reading an interview by the time uh white pony came out um and the sound had changed what you know myself and others that were like fanatical at the time thought was pretty drastically and they were like, yeah, well, like a lot of a lot of people have like kind of latched on to this sound that we found. So, you know, we're going to try to see what what else we can do and keep expanding our sound. And uh, but it, yeah, they 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 discovered something uh, with this record and it's still there. I still hear it. And, um, you know, while I would never like Waterman's comments, like, you know, I, I don't blame somebody at this point, like everything they've done white white pony and on is like infinitely more interesting than this and you know if you weren't listening to this at the time so you don't have that nostalgia it's i don't see a whole lot there worthy of going back but i do think you can hear that spark of you know the band that they would become right out the gate um on this record it should be noted also like the label because they were on maverick they got put on some big tours. Like they opened for Kiss on the Alive World Tour. What? Yep. Kiss had a lot of opening bands on that, but that's that's interesting. Um, they toured with White Zombie, Corn, Handsome. Uh, they had a song in a soundtrack on a soundtrack. Um, they, I mean, so they were getting pushed by the label, and I, I, I mentioned that this had gone. Gold. Actually, this record has gone uh, has sold a million copies. Uh, it took until two thousand eight, but it has oh, sold damn. a million copies, and I'm sure that includes That's... digital sales, you know, through the Apple iTunes Store at, uh, in those years too. So that's a cool. uh, you know perseverance. This this band has mentioned uh, repeatedly in interviews about it was about perseverance that they were together for so long, and it's actually I mean that's kind of refreshing. For a 90s uh, story, you hear about so many bands that like, got together and then after like their first practice or show, they were signed. But this was a band that like put in a lot of years to not only like figure out their sound, but they had time to suck, which sometimes <laughs> bands don't have time to do. And, yeah. you know, they were yeah. kids in high school, you know, skateboarders, and they're trying to they're trying to mix together hardcore and punk and metal and come up with in, something 
and new wave and post punk too. Yeah, all these all these different sounds. So while like when that that ninety two video I was talking about, he straight up just sings like Morrissey. Like most most of the stuff that he he was doing in that video, he just sounds like Morrissey. And I think that's what what has always intrigued me about Chino Moreno is that he can croon in a way that like almost nobody in metal or or alternative metal can. And then he can just bring it as a screaming, shouting vocalist in a way that is completely legit. But you can tell that there's a lot of lot of interesting influences in his vocal. Um, and you can tell by the covers that they've done. I mean, they've done a lot of really interesting choices for, for covers over the years. Um, so this record, as I mentioned, it, you know, it did okay when it originally came out, it got some good reviews when it came out, they got on some tours. Um, oh, speaking of, can I, can I interject real quick? Yeah. You said they toured with corn. Uh, there's a video, there's video, um, of the Deftones playing at the Cactus Club in San Jose in 1994, December of 94, if I'm not mistaken. And there's also footage of Korn that night. They were playing together. And this, the significance, uh, in, like the difference between the two bands is night and day. The Deftones sounded really, really good. And Korn just sounded really, really bad. Well, have they, did, he, did they, when did they put out their first record? uh corn was 94 and then adrenaline was 95 so okay their, so they, their, their record was probably out at that point gotcha interesting i, I feel like early on like uh they have a very i i can imagine their sound being very difficult to um always make good and like a small club setting yeah <laughs> when you got ross robinson behind the mixing board that's one thing right Corn is just yeah. one of those bands. They have a very specific sound, and I can see that not sounding great in a shitty club, you know. Yeah. Without complete control over the entire uh, rig. I was going to mention Ross Robinson actually did uh, produce one of the. He produced the last song on the record, so he has right. his hands uh, on this record as well, uh, just for one song. So the follow up around the fur. That was released in October of 1997. They recorded the album um, between April and June of 97. It's with, again, Terry Date and again on Maverick. Two singles released, My Own Summer, Shove It, and Be Quiet and Drive Far Away. Um, as Those both charted in the UK, but only Be Quiet and Drive Away charted in the US. It made it to number two on the UK rock and metal albums chart and number 29 on the U S billboard. It has gone platinum in the U S gold in the UK and gold in Australia. Um, this is, I believe, let's see. So we mentioned the band being a four piece with Moreno, Carpenter, Chang and Cunningham. So on this record is where they bring in, Frank Delgado to do some audio effects. And I believe that um, on the next record is when he becomes a full-time member of the band. And he's basically doing like scratching and, and sound effects, which isn't like, you know, I'm not talking about like crashing sounds or stuff like that, but like sort of adding layers of sounds in the same way that like uh, 
Mission of Burma had um, what's his name? I forget, but he was a member of the band. But basically, he just made noise. Like he had just like keyboards and stuff, but he wasn't like playing keyboard lines. He was just creating noises and loops and things live while they were playing. Um, so in addition to Delgado, Max Cavalera from, is it the band? Is it Sepultura? He, uh, he yeah. sings on this and he plays guitar on the song head up. Um, and soul fly, of course. And soul fly. Um, so we, there was mentioned in the comments about the jump in the band, their maturity between Adrenaline and Around the Fur was even bigger than the one between Around the Fur and White Pony. What did you guys think going back and listening to Around the Fur? And, and did you hear that big jump when you went back and listened to it? Steve, I'll start with you. I don't necessarily, to be honest with you. I, I, I feel like Around the Fur is much more of a, refinement and improvement um overall of adrenaline uh that's the way that i've always like felt about it but i also found around the fur first and then went backwards so that could be the case i could i could see if if you were on board and only knew adrenaline and, and then like chris said he got to i think he said he bought around the fur on the day it came out um so I don't know, looking at it the other way around, I'm not sure. But for me, yeah, for me, I've always interpreted it more as like a, a refinement of, of what they started with, uh, with adrenaline and, and really just took it to that next level. And like I said, Terry Date sounds like he figured out a thing or two about what would work better for, for that sound and for them um, rather than like Jay was saying, maybe his default thrash settings. Yeah, to me, this sounds like Terry Date matured. Um... I mean, the production is, um, you know, m much bigger. You you can hear like they're using effects on this record that enhance, you know, what the band's about. So you're hearing more of like that CB radio effect on the vocal where it's like small and distorted at times. The green um, bullet. Yeah. I feel like that becomes at least what I associate a lot of their vocals sounding like. And that I didn't hear very much on the first record. Um, there's some, but there's not this. It's almost every song has it. Um, you definitely hear the, you know, that big stereo, you know, doubled guitar sound. Um, it sounds like more of a, probably a Mesa rectifier kind of tone. So it's got that just super thick, um, heavy guitar tone. The uh, quiet parts, you know, there's more atmospherics going on. Like you mentioned to him, they have somebody doing that, but it's like just more nuanced um, when it's quiet. It's not just like a guitar riff played quieter or, or a different riff. It's, you know, a, just, you know, more space. And just from a production standpoint, there's just more to listen to. I don't know that I hear like from a songwriting standpoint. I mean, Be Quiet and Drive is musically, that could be a Foo Fighter song.
you know, a bit of a step more melodically and just, you know, musically to something that's, you know, a little bit more a rock. So there's some little pivots here and there. Um, there's some stuff on here that sounds a little bit like the refuse to me, you know, super aggressive, but it's got like that, um, like around the fur in particular has some parts of it that just the way the riffs are, are written in the, the way he's singing reminded me a bit of the refused. So you start to hear some shades of like different influences or slightly different directions, but I wouldn't say like songwriting standpoint, I was, you know, blown away or, you know, took a step back in terms of like the evolution of the band. It was more, I think, production. Um, I think you said it, Stephen, this felt like kind of a refinement of the first record to me. Yeah, I think uh, when I was listening to this, it sounded like the band was just so much more confident. And Terry Date really dialed in their sound perfectly. Everything sounds better. Like if you just listen, just listen to the drums, like the drums sound thicker and heavier. The cymbals sound better. They don't sound as as thin. Like everything's com in comparison sounded much thinner on that first record compared to this. The bass sounds so much better heavier and thicker um it's just it's just a a fatter tone from the bass frequency on every aspect um of this record and i feel like chino moreno really is starting to like imprint when you mentioned about when the quiet parts happen they're not just you know a good a, a muted guitar like yeah. you're starting to hear those how Depeche Mode and The Cure and, and My Bloody Valentine would use quiet parts to make the song dreamy or or ethereal or whatever uh, type of description you want to have. There's so much more, I think, energy, but properly focused. Um, I think that's where the songwriting improved is that, you know, you mentioned the song on the first record, uh, what was it? Seven words, Stephen, and how that's kind of like a little mundane now in comparison with, you know, it's like, oh, I discovered I can make a high note and a, and a low note and it sounds real dissonant. I feel like on this record, they said, OK, well, we can we can do a lot more with that and integrate it into songs like the singles. But do it in a way that's both really aggressive but also really melodic which i think is the balance of what makes this band interesting is that they appeal to so many different like you said they appeal to so many different groups and it's because they use dissonance as melody in a way that so few bands are able to pull off successfully um and i think that that's probably why i got interested in them which was after this record. And and now I'm glad I'm finally going back to it. Cause I can see where this was going to lead into the next record. White pony. Um, do you see that Steven, listen to this? Can you see like the, where white pony comes out of this? Um, yeah, now I can. Um, then I was pretty surprised by it. Um, but also I like, like I liked, that's not to say I didn't like white pony, white pony. I was just taken back um, a little bit. They had a, I think track three on that record's called Elite, where it's like he screams all the way through it. And that's like, at the time, just from where I was, that's like what I wanted to hear was that side of Chino uh, instead of like, 
realizing this like really mature, um, you know, side of him that, that brings in all these other influences. Um, but I, I liked it and I grew with it very quickly. Um, but so, yeah, I don't know. At the time I was a little like shocked, but like looking back at it now, I'm like, oh yeah, it makes perfect sense. I think be quiet and drive is, is just a fantastic song and like really showcased what this band was going to be capable of. Um, and, and I think, you know, that's on just on the strength of that alone is where you get a lot of the white pony stuff. Um, and I also wanted to throw out, they did do a, a couple songs that didn't make it, um, off of, uh, the adrenaline sessions. Uh, 1996 Escape from LA soundtrack had Can't Even Breathe, um, which <laughs> is a really great song. Um, and for that, a not great uh, movie. Yeah, for a not great movie. Yeah. But that had like, you want to talk about um, new metal, you know, really coming into its own. That soundtrack is a perfect uh, document of the time. And uh, but anyway, that song is great and really does showcase Chino's ability uh, to craft a, a catchy melody for a chorus. Um, and then another song called Teething, which was on the Crow 2 soundtrack um, from 96 as well. Um, and then, of course, you already mentioned the Sade cover, um, but that's featuring Jonah Matranga of Far. And then in 1997, you had Far ask Chino to be on um, their cover of, cover of Savory. So that was, uh, you know, uh, far covering Jawbox featuring Chino and then Deftones covering Sade featuring Jonah. So they had that relationship with Far, uh, both being Sacramento bands and whatnot. Um, and, and those songs are just uh, that version of Savory and that Sade cover. And then even um, their Duran Duran cover, The Chauffeur, mm-hmm. is just unbelievable. And that was the last thing they recorded around the, uh, around the first sessions. Drips down, but it never behind the front of your dress, no shadowy line. And the droning engine throbs in time with your beating say enough sing enough praises for around the fur i think it's a i think it's a fantastic record and you know whether it's a a refinement uh or a big jump stylistically you know is irrelevant in in just like really watching the band take off and set the stage for for the white pony which if we were invoking the marvelous three rule (laughs) we should be talking about but i guess i'm not invoking the rule coming up (laughs) three rule (laughs) 
<laughs> Let me check the the, the, the well. No, uh, no, no. We're gonna keep it to we're gonna keep it to these two actually because we're at a good time with this. But um, I did want to talk about you know this band to me is in the same way that like failure has been a very influential band on the space rock sound. You know, bands have cited them. Lots of different bands have cited them. I feel like when I listen to a band like this, I hear some of the metal in the 2000s, like Baroness, that utilize both singing and screaming to effective, you know, to, to people. So people who might necessarily might not be interested in a band that's, you know, always screaming um or growling or whatever they can find a it's almost like a bipolar singing style uh that they can they can find something in that that they that can appeal to them um so that to me was what was interesting is that i don't think i would have connected baroness you know i'm sure they had other influences as well but i i feel like there's some interesting connection between that band and, and this band. Um, yeah, I can see the, this, this band opened the space up for, I think in the two thousands metal bands to go in some different places mm -hmm. that brought those elements together. Mastodon comes to mind too, yep. where, yeah, you know, it's more of um, like they just paved a road that other bands could then. I don't wouldn't necessarily say like sound like them. Like I wouldn't don't think anybody's going to get at least you know, rock fans are probably aren't going to get a Mastodon song confused with a Deftone song. But I definitely think there's something to like their how open minded they are and just saying hey metal can be this too and you can go in these other places and you know they can combine together these both, you know, power and anger and beauty and all of these different ideas can actually all come together. It doesn't have to just be one thing, which I think historically, you know, that wasn't always the case with metal, you know, pre nineties, it's, it's typically one dimensional, you know, yeah. Iron Maiden is an awesome man, but they are, you know, it's power and mysticism and, you know, there's a kind of, three notes there they play and they play them better than anybody in the world ever. But, you know, it's not super expansive um, in terms of yeah. where that, that band can go. And that's just one example, but Judas Priest is the same thing and Black Sabbath and all these bands that pretty much, you know, stick to a script. Whereas I think Deftones is saying, Hey, you don't have to, you can go in all these other places and bring all these different elements together. And the two thousands, there's so many great bands that followed that model and did awesome stuff with it. Alternative yeah, I like, metal. I hate to say it, but yeah, it really does kind of sum that whole concept up. Well, I feel like you know, when we're thinking about metal, and and you mentioned about those those bands like Sabbath and whatnot. I feel like this is a band. Speaking of the Deftones, where you kind of go, I don't know that the, that this is a band that's that is all that interested in Black Sabbath. Like their right. influences are more thrash hardcore and other things than going back and trying to replicate Tommy Iommi's, you know, bluesy drop D rips. 
Yeah. Now, obviously, the lineage is there from the like tuning aspects, and and you know that's imprinted on the whole sort of genre. But in terms of, you know, there was obviously with bands like Soundgarden and and Pearl Jam, and you could hear the '70s rock influence on some of their stuff when they were starting out. You can't. I don't hear that with this. Like this, that, I think that's what makes it interesting is that. Um, they don't seem as beholden to the past as some of those other '90s bands. Were. Yeah, I would say as far as back, this band would probably go is Metallica. Like yeah, it's probably their Black Sabbath, and that's their starting point. That's that's just my guess. But if they're referencing metal, it probably starts from Metallica forward. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I'm not going to argue that. I also noticed uh, one thing between the two records. We talked about the guitar tone quite a bit, but I also wondered. There's something maybe about like the tuning that was different. Um, I would assume on the first record they were using drop D, but there's just something about the second one beyond just tone, like the notes and the chords they're playing just sound maybe they're like in C or something. I don't know. I'm wondering if there's something going on tuning wise there um, as well between the first and the second record. I don't I don't think there are, to be honest with you. I, I actually learned a lot of these songs on guitar okay. back then um and i'm pretty sure they were both just dropped e just dropped perhaps in. perhaps a half step and then dropped um that's what my guess would be it's a half step down plus a drop d gotcha yeah yeah that could be yeah yeah maybe they did that between the two for all i know but i know i didn't have to retune to learn my own summer so well there you go hmm. Yeah. Anybody can just go to I'm sure you can go to ultimateguitartabs.com uh, and uh and figure it out right now. But you can you can fact check us. But sure. I will I'd be willing to place uh, a good dollar bet on on a drop D half step. Um All right. So as far as origins go, if you're if you discovered Deftones in the 2000s, for the people out there who maybe, you know, the younger crowd, maybe there's some 13-year-old hasher, hasher out there or hasher, hasher, thrasher. <laughs> What's the word? Are you, are you on the hash? <laughs> are they, are they potting it up? Uh, you're out there skateboarding, listening to, listen to ohms or, or diamond eyes. Uh, they might not know that these albums exist. I'm sure with spot with Spotify, everybody knows everything exists. But uh, would so would you recommend a a new fan of Deftones go back to these records and check them out, Stephen? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, you know, namely around the fur. But I think I think there's a lot to be said about adrenaline and uh, and all the the nerdy non-album tracks that I mentioned earlier. I think all that material is definitely worth going back and hearing and, and understanding, you know, where this sound came from and understanding how long it took them to finally get there. Um, you know, taking that peek at that video that I did today was wild. Just like, I've always been curious as to like how they started. Cause they kind of, once they, once they found their sound and put their record out, like you said, Tim, they were on big tours. Like they, they, yeah. they found their niche right away. Um, but you know, all the time spent plunking around as a local band uh, and then figuring it out 
is uh yeah 100 worth worth going back to revisit the stuff make sure you post that video in the in the discord for all of all the people to see if okay, you remember absolutely jay what about you would you recommend a, a young perhaps you have a young metal fan in your household <laughs> who uh, prefers docking but might want to check out the deftones <laughs> of course i mean that's the fun part about when you find a band that's got a catalog and you know you you can hear the origin you can hear the evolution of the band you can hear how they change they you know and if you really love the band you're probably going to find some stuff on these two records that you love as well um so for sure that's what makes uh, following bands fun jay are there um later era deftones records that you do listen to i haven't no but i'm I'm interested in checking out probably the more recent one. Um, I did a review for that for the box and I did enjoy it just to see like where it goes. Like what's the ultimate destination this band is getting gets to. I think what's interesting is that in reading about the band, they have not been afraid to change it up both in terms of producers um, and, and try some things. And there's also been shifts within the band, like Chino Moreno plays guitar, but he has said, on a record, hey, I don't want to play guitar on this record. You guys just focus on writing the songs and I'm going to do the lyrics and then it'll change for the next record. So they they drastically kind of shift their sound based on what their arrangement is per album. Um, so that to me is is makes for an interesting sort of stew that they are always messing around with. They also play in other bands outside of Deftones, which I think allows them to like keep the Deftones sort of pure as it as an outfit, but then also reach outside and do some different things outside the band rather than trying to do too much with this band, um, yeah. which might dilute what they, what they do well. So I agree with you both. I think, I think going back and checking out these records is worth it. I think adding, you know, if you're a, a Deftones newbie, I think a lot of the tracks in around the fur are going to appeal to you. And I think there's a couple tracks on adrenaline that you might find interesting. I I just think the, and like we talked about the adrenaline, the adrenaline production just holds it back just a little bit, but overall um, this was a really interesting listen. I'm glad I got to go back and, uh, and check this out because my previous um, bias against new metal sort of (laughs) kept me from giving it a listen. So uh, I'm here to declare these are, these are not new metal albums. Yeah, they they also transcended uh, that that pitfall quite well. Um, yes, like they they really did. I just I applaud them so much for staying in the course and staying true to themselves and you know doing what they wanted to do. And I really have I have become so much more than you could ever like even think about calling them a new metal band. Really, it's interesting to think about which bands have have made it successfully out of the '90s and continued to prosper you know, continuously and make interesting music. You know, there's not, there's, there's some of, you know, broken up and then come back years later and, or, or gone on long hiatuses, but Deftones have basically been around the whole time. And there, there's not a lot of those bands that at least have kept making interesting records. Like, you know, Green Day has yeah. been around a long time, but they haven't always made interesting records. <laughs> yeah. Weezer are the same thing. They've pretty much fallen <laughs> off. So, uh, it's it's cool to hear this band continue to evolve. Uh, Stephen, thanks for joining us on this uh, triangular roundtable and this Sunday evening. 
We appreciate uh, all your insights and uh, want to remind people that you can join us at Patreon. And then when we throw up a Zoom link, you can join us on the, the, the roundtables that we do every month. Uh, you can also vote in our polls that uh, decide these roundtables by uh, just uh, going to dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. And if you go there, it's also where you can check out the box newsletter that goes out every week. Two new reviews, typically each week, of albums, movies, or books related to 80s and 90s music relevant to this podcast, plus our always updated release calendar of everything relevant uh, of 80s and 90s music. Some times it's obscure stuff we didn't even know was happening and then it just pops in at the last minute and sometimes well, we're not shocked at all uh but and here are uh 80s reviews we just did the stone roses yep and uh that's also where you can learn about stuff like that via our newsletter is our 80s reviews which are exclusive to our patreon community uh and our polls monthly polls that our albums uh voted on you submit it at digmeoutpodcast.com and then you vote it for it at Patreon. And last, if you like what you heard, Apple Podcasts, where you go leave some positive feedback for this show. So for Jay, I'm Tim. We're out. And we'll be back next week with Steven for another episode of Dig Me Out.